shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakeland, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, ladies and gentlemen, i got to tell you, here's a special edition of Inside EMS. I mean, we're getting some really horrible news that came out of New York City, and, and it was really something that we felt we needed to get on air and, and really kind of talk about it. And, you know, uh, Kelly Grayson is on special assignment. He's not going to join us. But with me as a special guest is the editor-in-chief of EMS1, Greg Fries. Greg, uh, how are you doing today? Uh, Chris, I'm doing okay. You know, this uh, line of duty death from uh, Fire Department of New York, EMT, uh, Yadira Arroyo, is weighing on me heavily. I got uh, news of this. Uh, Several of our readers uh, sent me Twitter messages uh, last night, and we uh, posted the news story, and we continue to cover it of, uh, you know, a, a Emotionally disturbed person, possibly intoxicated, was uh, riding on the tailboard of the ambulance. Either a driver or a passerby flagged down the ambulance to alert them to this uh, very dangerous behavior, of course, of uh, uh, the man on the tailboard. Uh, From what we understand from uh, news reports, EMT Arroyo was driving. She got out of the ambulance to uh, confront this man. At some point, he got into the front seat of the ambulance, her partner was still in the ambulance and tried to fight him off. He uh, backed up, put the ambulance into reverse, backed up, uh, and then also then uh, drove over her, and she uh, died from her injuries in the hospital a short time later. Um, that's a basic overview of, of what happened. And, of course, our thoughts, you know, your mind, I'll speak for myself, my thoughts, but I'm sure you as well, and also Kelly, are with her family, her friends, her colleagues, and uh, the entire staff of EMS professionals at the Fire Department of New York and the many, many people she worked with over her 14-year career. Yeah, and I think one of the things that uh, we, we think about is, you know, we talk about the differences in, you know, EMS as far as, uh, you know, system designs and fire-based systems and hospital-based systems and third city services. But when these things happen, the, these things happen to a career field. And, right. you know, the, you know, uh, uh, Ms. Arroyo was a 14-year veteran of the FDNY. She had five children that she leaves behind as well. And, you know, in this process of going through your daily duties and you leave in the morning, um, we really have to be able to come to the conclusion, Greg, and, and I fear that we're here as a career field, that just like our police brethren, we, we may not come home. And I don't know that we're, 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 we're feeling that as a career field. And uh, unfortunately, we may be to the process where we need to start thinking about, uh, you know, our, our mortality within our career field and, and, and how we are going to keep ourselves safe. You know, I couldn't agree more, Chris. And one of the things that's that's on my mind this morning, and I've attempted to write about it uh, in a rapid response article that I posted on EMS One, is you know this the challenge that our field providers face of having to you know go in a, a really a heartbeat from sort of the mundane, uh, whether you're an EMT, a police officer, or a firefighter. Uh, this heartbeat transition that you might make um, from the regular uh, same old, same old to being in uh, a fight for your life as as this ambulance crew was. And, you know, so I, I know, Chris, this is that idea of uh, readiness, 
Um, you know, you were in the military uh, many, many years ago, and you've probably given this thought, you know, several years ago, too, when you had crews that were working on the streets when the riots were happening in Ferguson. You know, what would you want listeners to be thinking about this challenge that they face of uh, going from you know, day to day to all of a sudden being in a fight for your life? Yeah. And, you know, I think as a leader, one of the things that I think we need to do is we need to be able to look at our, I guess, maybe the position of readiness. You know, I think that we as EMS providers, and certainly, Greg, I was this way, uh, I felt a little bit bulletproof. You know, I felt that, you know, I was part of a public service. You know, I, I kind of felt that I had the same uh, uh, respect of that of, of an officer, that I wouldn't be uh, accosted, that I wouldn't be assaulted. Um, and really, I'm kind of only speaking from uh, uh, my experience. But I think our mentality has to be that we have to be ready 100% of the time. And, and I think that we have a, a feeling of, uh, of complacency that uh, maybe we feel a little bit. Uh, like we're bulletproof or that we're supermen. And, and certainly I think that we have that, um, you know, we have that knowledge that gives us that special feeling that I think we need to have, but we need to know that when we leave the house, that uh, it's a very serious job that we're in. And I think we've got to shift our focus to say, um, I've got to worry about my safety and the safety of my crew. Yeah. And, you know, I want to just be really clear for you and for the listeners that I can't imagine what I would have done in a similar situation right now. And I don't have what a prescription of uh, what could or should have been done. And, you know, when these uh, tragedies happen, you know, not only do I want to mourn and grieve uh, this loss of life, but I also want to be thinking about our colleagues that are out in the field today or go on shift tomorrow and and their safety and their preparedness. Uh, because, you know, Chris, ambulance theft um, is happening with sort of a frightening level of regularity in around the United States. And I don't want anyone to sort of have the thought of like, well, I don't work in New York City. Uh, this couldn't, this wouldn't happen to me because as we report ambulance theft stories, including times when the crew is inside the ambulance, uh, it's happening all over the place uh, and with enough regularity that probably once per week on average, if not more, we're posting a news story about an ambulance theft. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that you know we need to be able to think about is that due diligence of our, of our ambulances, and I, th- I think that we just assume that because it's an ambulance, no one's going to touch it. And I I want to preface uh, as we talk about this for a couple things. First off, in New York City, you know, having grown up there, there is a, a culture that people will jump on the bumpers of the buses and people will jump on the bumpers of trucks and and they'll use this as a mode of transportation to get from point A to point B. And with that said, as we talk about these, uh, you know, these horrible situations, and, and you mentioned it yourself, just because I don't work in New York, uh, you know, I shouldn't be diligent about this. One of the things that we've got to realize is in your own areas, you have a culture within your community that I think that you have to be responsible for in the sense of your own safety, in the sense of the safety of your crew. So even though we can put the onus on, I don't work in New York, 
there's a culture that happens in your community that you have probably have to be aware of that uh, could put you in a situation this way. But another story that I want to share with you, Greg, and as an EMS chief, I was very, very um, animated one day. Uh, I tried to ensure that the ambulances were always secure, and that was something that I would open the ambulances up if they were parked at the hospital. I would take the computers out of them if you know they were open. But one day, our vice president of patient care services, our chief nurse, was coming to see me, and one of the ambulances was running. The window was open and the door was unlocked. Well, she got in the ambulance and she drove the ambulance, uh, you know, a, a little bit of ways that it couldn't be seen. And she said that someone had just gotten in the ambulance and drove away. Did I know that? And I said, well, no, I didn't know that. And the crew had gotten a call at that same time and the ambulance wasn't in a position for them to take their call. I got to tell you, initially... I was very, very upset about this uh, uh, dramatization, this scenario that she played out for me. But she very, very quickly put me into, I guess, check, if you want to say, by saying, I did this, but anybody could have done it. And why aren't you ensuring that our ambulances are more secured? Well, was that a lesson that I needed to have? Was that a lesson that was important? At the time, Greg, I say, you know what? I, I think that was unnecessary. But as you mentioned... We're starting to see these things more and more, and maybe it was before its time, but I do think that we have a complacency with securing our vehicles to think that they're untouchable. And I think we've got to change that mentality. And, and Chris, this has been playing out uh, now for several years of uh, ambulance thefts. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago in, in California, a patient uh, stole an ambulance and then collided with semi driver and uh, semi-tractor killing herself and the semi-driver. There was a, a patient in Maryland a few years ago, first assaulted the EMS crew, stole the ambulance, caused several accidents, including a fatal collision for a civilian driver. And the, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly think uh, field providers um, have responsibility for securing the ambulance but i don't think that that should be something that we rely on or even further expect of them i think through uh, technology and engineering controls there's got to be ways to secure the ambulance and prevent unauthorized operation that's not um, reliant on you know the high variability of 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 the people that are operating the ambulances, uh, an additional responsibility for them. And uh, so, Chris, you know, you speak to EMS leaders all the time. You know, how would you advise them to take action or feel pressured to really get serious about securing the ambulance through engineering controls and technology and not through policy and trying to be sneaky uh with the catching the field providers in a mistake yeah and I, and I think that you know this really goes even beyond the fact of stealing the ambulances uh which is a big concern but people are getting into the patient compartments and they're stealing drug boxes and they're you know possibly getting their hands on uh, uh on the narcotics if they're not going to be secured in the back i think that one of the things greg that we've got to think about here is I think we now need to think about the technology of those ambulances as we start to move forward into 
uh, the future, something we never had to think of before. And certainly there should be uh, uh, policies in place that keep ambulances secure. But in this situation, we don't need to be reactive to initiate a policy that says, if you're not doing this, this is the challenge. Those should be part of the safety concerns within your organization. But, you know, there, you know road safety uh, that's put out by Zoll is a product that people have to key fob to uh, start the ambulances or, or the ambulances, you know, now are connected to that driver. Maybe we have some type of key fob in the future that we have to put on the dashboard that starts the ambulance. And when we leave the ambulance, it, it cuts the ambulance off. And, and, and it keeps it from uh, firing up. So in the case that we get out of the ambulance to talk with a patient, uh, to talk with somebody who maybe is a, a, a threat, you know, it, it just kills. It is a kill switch. And unless we use that key fob to start the ambulance again, we can't get those things started. I mean, some of the cars that are out there now, Greg, if you don't have the key in your pocket, uh, as you press that little button on the dashboard, it won't start. But we yeah. never had to think about these things before. But now as this becomes very prevalent, do we need to reach out to our manufacturers? Do we need to reach out to our vendors to say, what can you come up with to help our, our folks uh, be safe that uh, you know, they're not being hurt by uh, uh, their own vehicles? Yeah, I want to acknowledge the unwinnable situation this crew was in. If, if they uh, became aware that they had a tailboard rider and they chose not to stop and do something about it and something that happened to that person, you know, fall off injured, the crew, of course, would have been in, could have been in big trouble, disciplinary action. Uh, so doing nothing is a terrible option and unwinnable. And so the, and then I think the other thing that I think is incumbent on EMS leaders to discuss with their crews is, you know, what risks are appropriate to take uh, regarding theft from the ambulance. And in my mind, there's a huge difference between somebody enters a patient care compartment, steals drug box, rips the narcotic safe off the wall, takes the first in bag, uh, and disappears. Uh, let's report that to police and let the police investigate. You know, what becomes much more complex is when somebody takes the ambulance, they're now at the wheel of a you know, a weapon that weighs several thousand pounds and can kill and maim and injure. And, you know, then what's the appropriate risks that, uh, that to take to try to stop that violent assailant? And, uh, you know, having those questions or conversations with your crews in the weeks or months ahead you know, just simple, what if, what if this was us? How would we manage it? You know, your expectation of an EMS leader might be different than what my expectation is. And I would rather have that conversation with the crew in a low risk, low stress environment, rather than counting on them to guess what our organization would want them to do in the heat of the moment at the point of fighting for your life. And I think that one of the challenges, Greg, is that, you know, we, we don't prepare for these things. And, you know, when, when a ordinary situation pops up that we're going to interact with in our career field, uh, very, very quickly, that ordinary situation can turn deadly. Uh, that can be a very, uh, you know, a catalyst for assault. That could be a catalyst. So we're reacting in a normal process 
of how to uh, how we think we should interact with people in, in that given time. But I think that you know, even if we look at the and I apologize, I don't know the name of the, the of her partner. But when this gentleman got into the uh, cab of the vehicle, she was trying to fight him off. Well, yep. but that's a situation now that she could be fighting for her life as well. If there right. was, if there was a weapon, uh, very easily, uh, maybe he could have overpowered. And, and, and I, I just don't think that we're prepared to handle these situations as they arise. You know, even just going into somebody's house, Greg, where we see a, you know, a, a 70-year-old woman who is, is needing our care and then her uh, a family member comes in who may be mentally ill that can overpower us, are we, are we really putting the due diligence or are we putting the training into uh, how to handle these situations when they arise? And I got to tell you, I think the answer is no. Chris, you've posed some... Uh some great questions uh, for uh, for me and our listeners to consider. I, you know, uh, listeners, what I would welcome you to do is share with Chris and I, and of course, Kelly, your experiences, your insights into how we can better be prepare uh, for violent encounters, uh, how we can, you know, make uh, some changes to our operations, to our ambulances, so you know, we that there's technology or engineering controls in place to stop uh, this ambulance theft and the property damage, injury, and, and death that can come from that theft. Uh, and then, you know, my final thought, Chris, is again to just, uh, you know, share my condolences as well as my appreciation uh, for 14 years of service to the citizens in New York by uh, EMT, <coughs> excuse me, by EMT Arroyo, and you know certainly I'm going to continue to hold her, her family, her children, her friends and uh, colleagues in my thoughts in the days ahead. Yeah, and I have to echo that sentiment. And you know, once again, I, I want to be able to touch on the fact that uh, this is where we come together as a career field. And any time that we hear about loss, and any time we hear about the you know the devastation of how our our peers in our career field are hurt. Uh, we try to make uh, the very best effort to reach out and, and do the very best that we can. And if anybody knows of a uh, uh, GoFundMe page or anything that we can share, uh, you know, to assist in this time of loss, uh, we certainly want to be able to do that. But, you know, for this very special edition of Inside EMS, we wanted to be able to come to you. We wanted to be able to share some of our thoughts. And hopefully it gives you guys out there the opportunity to consider you know, the things that could happen that maybe we're not considering. So uh, for Greg Fries, uh, my good friend Kelly Grayson, I'm Chris Subalero. If you have any questions, comments, or concern, go ahead and send them to us at the show at ems1.com. And until next week, I'm Chris Subalero. We'll chat with you again real soon. <laughs>